pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This morning we are going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Paul says, You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. Share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. It is the farmer who does the work and who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. You know, one of the things that we tend to struggle with in our day and age is misconceptions about grace. Do we know what grace is? Would we know how to define it? When we think of grace, I think many of us tend to think immediately about salvation, and rightly so. And we think of something received that we did not deserve. And this is true. And though it's true, the problem is that it becomes easily theoretical in our understanding of how grace works. And if grace becomes something that is just theoretical, then it loses much of its power. Grace becomes an idea to know about instead of a tangible gift from God to be experienced, to be used. Well, how did this happen? Because this wasn't always the understanding of grace. It wasn't always a theoretical understanding. It was very tangible. It was very practical in the church body. Well, there's a few main culprits to this. One of them would probably be, in the Protestant church at least, especially in the evangelical church, would be a fear of what I would call Catholic efficacy. Roman Catholic efficacy. Now, what this means is that uh, evangelicalism has this fear of Roman Catholicism uh, in a way where um, we don't even use words anymore or terms or phrases because of how it was used or abused by the Roman Catholic Church in the past. And one of these uh, fears would be the Roman Catholic understanding of the views of the efficacy of um, like things like the sacramental system. So these ideas of merited grace, where you can do works in order to receive more grace from God, And I don't want to um, be too simple about it, but I also can't take too much time on it either. 
Um, but this fear over time has grown so that even the church today, Protestants have very little resemblance to the understanding of their Reformed Protestant forefathers in the way of understanding God's grace. Another culprit would be the influence of modernism. Modernism has hurt our ability to understand the unity of the spiritual and physical realities of God's creation and the way that the Lord works through both the spiritual and physical realities of creation to pour out grace and to communicate and to work with his people. And then the last one is, the last culprit would be a lost history. One of the current challenges we face today is a lack of knowledge about our family history. Many of us know very little about the last 2,000 years of our family. We have access, and and many times free access with, with the internet, to the thoughts of Calvin and Luther and Zwingli, to the Puritans of Edward and Owen, to Aquinas and Augustine or Tertullian, even the earliest church fathers, all the way to modern scholars and pastors today. We have so much access, and yet we maintain such uh, um, an ignorance of how the church has thought about the Bible, about grace. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in keeping with our theme of faith on fire, Faith on fire is faith that is steeped in grace. If we want to continue faith on fire, if we want to continue fanning our faith into flame, we need to be partaking in God's grace. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So let me pray for us, and we will uh, expound on this text a bit, and especially um, understanding, hopefully correcting some misunderstandings about grace, and understanding the power of grace in such a practical way that God has already established in his church in order to fan into flame our own faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask during this time this morning that even though it will be heavy with teaching, Lord, I pray that it would be communicated in such a way that we would come to a better understanding of how your grace works and how you've chosen to pour out your grace on your children, Lord. We are your children, God. Churches across this country, churches across this world, Lord, are full of born-again, regenerated children adopted into your family, Lord, that are looking to serve you all the days of their life, Lord. 
And so I pray that this would be an encouragement this morning, a loving encouragement as we seek to live lives that glorify your name, that we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when we enter into eternity. And Lord, we do it all for your glory. We do it all to your praise. And I pray, Lord, that my words, my thoughts, Lord, use me as a herald of your word, not a herald of my words. Use me to help communicate your thoughts, not my own. And God, I pray that it would be done in humility and in gentleness and in love. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the Oasis family. And I pray for this fruitful time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So faith on fire is steeped in grace. We need to be empowered by grace. This is, again, what Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what is this grace? Be strengthened by grace, Paul says. I hope that we understand this. Be strengthened by grace to be a faithful disciple and disciple maker. Paul tells Timothy that he must be strengthened by the grace that comes in Christ Jesus. And and this verb is is passive. So uh, we, we cannot live the faithful life on our own. We cannot live it in our own strength. We are, and, and we as Christians should readily accept the fact that we are incapable and, and weak. We are subject to the flesh so easily that on the one hand, theoretically, we should understand that the only way we can live a faithful life is through grace that comes in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that it is the grace of God that brings us into salvation, and it is the grace of God that keeps us. It is also the grace of God that strengthens us for a life of godliness and strength within the ministry that God has called us to. So we as Christians at least theoretically understand that this is all by grace. Everything that we have received has been by the grace of God. It is by grace we are saved. It is by grace we are sanctified. It is by grace we are empowered for gospel ministry. It is by grace we may suffer and endure suffering. It is by grace that we can live in hope and joy and love and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. It is by grace that we are ultimately glorified for eternity. It is all God's unmerited favor poured out continuously on his children. Therefore, Paul reminds Timothy that it is this grace itself that gives him strength, and it is only found in Christ. It is a grace that comes in Christ alone. 
So, often when we think of grace from Christ and Christ alone, we think solely in terms of salvation. And this tends to make grace a one-time, past-tense sort of experience in one particular way, grace, salvation, saved by grace. And this is true. But I would rather like to say that the grace of salvation is the grace that gets us through the door. It's the grace that takes us off the wide road and sets us on the narrow path. The grace that brings us to salvation is just the start of the life of God's grace being poured out unto you. Okay? So hear hear me again. The grace that leads us to salvation is the grace that is needed for salvation, but it is just the beginning of the grace that God will continuously be pouring out unto you for the rest of your life. And the reason why I bring that up is so that we do not get stuck in a one-time past experience of grace. Yes, it was by grace that I was saved, but what has grace done for me lately? That's not the case at all. Christ gives us strength. The Lord pours out his grace that we may walk in faithfulness to the Lord. But the question that might be on many of our minds is, how? How does the Lord do this? The Lord pours out his grace, and my experiencing that grace and receiving that grace gives the strength for a faithful life, okay? So I'm I'm setting this up here, that the Lord, he, he pours out his grace on you, and you experiencing that grace and receiving that grace is what gives you the strength to live with faith on fire, You have to experience it. You have to receive it. You have to know it. You have to understand it. Otherwise, it becomes this theoretical idea, and we don't understand what grace is. And when we don't understand what grace is, we tend to not live in the power of that grace. And this is important because it allows us to see the commands of Christ to his church in new light. The benefit of these commands that I will talk about in a minute here to the church, the commands, the ordinances, the sacraments that we are told to participate in are that through them we experience the grace of God. Through them we experience Christ. And there are different ways that God pours out his grace for his children to experience. And I have a few here, some of which will be very familiar. These are ways that God pours out his grace for his church to experience. Uh, One, the sermon, God's word being proclaimed, grace 
from God that conforms the believer into the image of Christ shaped by the word of God that is breathed out by him. It is God's grace through the prophetic and authoritative proclamation of the scriptures that transform the believer, that transform the heart, that bring people to salvation, that grow us in Christ. This is God's grace. So when Pastor Keith or myself are up here and, and, and we're preaching from the Word of God, it is grace being poured out on to all of us from the Lord to be changed by His Word. Not changed by my words. I get to be an instrument of that grace. But I am also a recipient of that grace. The next one is the Lord's Supper, communion. This is grace that strengthens the church and dines with the Lord. And I'll I'll flesh that out for us quickly here. Um, A few things that it does, because this tends to be the one that people uh, really don't understand why there's an importance for doing it. And and because of that, it becomes just rote repetition uh, very, very quickly. How does God pour out his grace through the Lord's Supper? Well, it is God's grace to issue rebuke and invoke and invite repentance. See, each week God is giving the grace to publicly start fresh as you are reminded of your salvation through the blood of Christ. It's a corporate time where the church comes together to remember what took place on the cross and it should lead us into a posture of repentance. Being reminded then that we have been made new, that we have been washed clean. It is also God's grace to create celebration and expectation in the church. We are foretasting the marriage supper of the Lamb when we partake in communion together. The Lord's Supper is also God's grace to empower unity within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, I'll start in verse 16, says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless and share in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf, of one bread. So the Lord's Supper also is God's grace to empower unity within the church. And then lastly, it's God's, the Lord's Supper is God's grace to dine with him in covenant. Eating is a sign of covenant. I, I, I talked about this a bit on Wednesday. It signifies, when you dine together, it signifies union, and it creates greater unity with those eating together. This is why Paul says, do not eat with an apostate or with someone who has been excommunicated from the fellowship. Why? Because what it shows is that you are in covenant still with that person, that you are united to them and joined to them. 
So when we eat with the Lord in communion, we are experiencing grace that joins us closer to Him. Now we may step back and say, that sounds a little far-fetched. And I'll admit, I get that. I get that. But we are the anomaly here of the last 2,000 years. The church has, has put emphasis on the preaching of the word, has put emphasis on the Lord's Supper, of God's grace being poured out in these ways, tangible grace, where grace actually is being poured out in a way that it changes us as we understand what we are partaking in. Baptism is grace that confirms the entrance into covenant with God and union with Christ. It gives us assurance. Corporate gathering, God's means of accountability and fellowship for the believer. Well, this is God's grace to see each other. We look into each other's eyes. We read body language. It keeps us accountable to each other. And it's God's grace poured out to confess together, pray together, prepare together, sing together, eat together, love one another, minister to one another, make physical contact. Yes. Shake hands, give hugs. Paul mentions giving a holy kiss. We don't really do that one. That's okay. But these were meant in the corporate gathering to bring greater unity to the body of Christ. Another one is singing, worshipful singing. You know, the Bible talks about two main ways that that singing accomplishes, um, or or God's grace accomplishes um, a work in the body of Christ through singing. It gives grace for the battle. We have been given the Holy Spirit to speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Music creates a courageous disposition. Think about it. Um, singing prepares you for battle. There's a reason why athletes like boxers and, and UFC fighters and even football players, like they come out onto the field or they enter into the ring to a song that's pumping them up, that's getting them ready for the war that is about to take place. Singing prepares you for battle and is itself an act of driving away what is evil. We see in 1 Samuel that David actually drove away evil spirits from Saul through music. It fights temptation. It fights anger. It fights depression. It fights wicked thoughts. We see this all in the Psalms. This kind of singing unto the Lord creates within the believer, by God's grace, a disposition that is pleasing to the Lord. It makes us ready for the battle that is at hand. It makes us more prepared to deal with temptation. But it's not just grace for battle, it's also grace to witness. We sing songs that reveal what we believe. See, our our time of music here in the church 
It, it actually is, is meant for something. It's, it's, it's not just to sing a few songs in order to pass the time before the sermon. See, singing together corporately is actually God pouring out His grace on His children to witness to those around us and to the greater world around us about what we believe. Music is celebratory. We know this even in cultures, right? Weddings, special occasions, holidays, um, accomplishments. We have parties for graduations, and usually a lot of these include, in some form or another, music. We, as the church, are a people of celebration. We celebrate salvation. We celebrate the victory of Christ. And so when we sing, we proclaim that victory publicly for the world to witness. So they look on and see and say, what are they singing about? What are they proclaiming? And the actual words and celebration of our song shows that we are a people of victory. We are a people of joy and celebration. Why? Because our God is able. Our God has won the war. He has changed us. The battle is ours. The inheritance is given to us. Adoption into God's family. All the the, the blessings that we can think of from Ephesians 1 poured out onto us. And we, in that victory, sing. And that singing is a witness to those around us of the grace that has been poured out. And continues to be poured out. Music is not only a witness of our celebration, it's also a witness in Scripture to warn the unbeliever and the disobedient of God's wrath. We see this multiple times in the Psalms. So, music not only functions for celebration, but it also functions as a tool for repentance. People have been saved through singing worship music in the church. So God is pouring out his grace specifically in this time. Just two more here. Prayer. Prayer is grace to enter the throne room of the Lord and speak to him as Abba, Father. As you pray, you experience the grace of God being poured out on you as you communicate with him in his holy presence. This is why, by the way, it's all the more important that you pray when you don't feel like praying. Because the act of praying is not just an act of obedience, it's also an act of experiencing and receiving God's grace being poured out onto you. And the last one is giving. God pours out His grace in giving in a way that causes us to find full sufficiency in the Lord, in Him, and not in the things of the world. So, grace is not just something that takes place at salvation. And it's not just some theoretical thing that we can't understand that gets poured out through our walk in this life in Christ. But God has actually been very specific in his word in the different places that he will pour out grace for specific reasons. 
And it is God's grace that makes us the right kind of ministers. So Paul says, starting in verse 3, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. So a soldier. So Timothy is called to be a soldier in Christ, and likewise, so are we. We are called to be soldiers in Christ that are prepared for the spiritual battle that is happening at all times all around us. But this means that we actually have to enter into the battle. We can't just sit on the sidelines. But the only way that we're going to enter into the battle is if we have a faith that's on fire and strong enough to enter into the battle. And the only way that we can have a faith that is strong enough to do so is if we have been empowered by the grace of God. So the soldier, once he enlists into the Lord's army, leaves everything behind and is free from the entanglements of the world, the things that direct our attention away from the battle are to be done away with. These civilian pursuits of everyday life And instead, our concern is with pleasing our Lord. The soldier needs to experience grace. The soldier needs to experience grace. He needs to be trained. He needs grace to be trained. That happens through the Word of God, through the sermon. He needs to be reminded of the victory. That happens through the Lord's Supper. He needs grace to have initiation into the army, into service, and be assured that he belongs to his king. Baptism. He needs grace that the other soldier with, um, sorry, he needs grace to be with other soldiers, to have rest, to have a meal to share with each other and with their king, to create unity in the army. Corporate gatherings, singing songs. He needs courage, singing, worship. He needs to know his king hears him and goes with him wherever he goes. Prayer. So all of the sudden, I hope that we're seeing that these elements that God has established in order to empower us in his grace actually have practical use. Well, what about for the athlete? The athlete here is committed and determined. See, even the most gifted athletes cannot wing it. They have to practice. They have to be dedicated. They have to perfect their craft and their technique. Well, in order to do this, the athlete as well has to experience grace. Right? The the, the metaphor for the believer as a soldier, the metaphor for a believer as an athlete has to experience grace. Well, he has to know he is an athlete and what sport he's in, baptism. He needs to learn self-control, prayer. He must learn to deny himself, giving. He needs to know the rules of the game, that one, he must be bought by the blood of Christ, the Lord's Supper. He must be obedient to the word, the sermon. 
He must be determined to win the prize. He needs the motivation and the right disposition that the sacrifice is worth it in the end. The sermon, the corporate gathering, singing, the Lord's Supper, all of these are the ways in which God has poured his grace out to give us these empowerments to live the life that God has called us to. And the last one is the farmer. The hard-working farmer who is up early and goes to bed late and works all day. Who goes through times of plenty and times of famine. Who has to work in the cold and the rain and the hot sun. Who usually has to endure loneliness as he works. Paul says this farmer has the first share. Well, it's disputed how this text could be understood, but the point that Paul is getting at is focusing on the kind of hard work that the farmer does. So the soldier is loyal to the calling and to the battle. The athlete is committed and determined to the work ahead of him, and the farmer is the one who is um, capable of doing the hard work that ministering the gospel calls us into. And so therefore, just like the soldier and athlete, the farmer too needs to experience grace. He needs, to, he needs the grace of God to fight loneliness. This happens through the corporate gathering. He needs the grace of God to remember that the harvest is not his, but the Lord's. This happens through giving. He needs the grace of God to communicate with the landowner, God himself, prayer. He needs the grace of God to know the expectations of the landowner on him. Again, the sermon and the Lord's Supper. See, so in order for us to have faith on fire, we have to be empowered by God's grace. But God's grace is not... um, it's, it's not a, a hose that is just, you know, sprayed and, and wherever it lands, there goes grace. God has chosen specific things for his children to partake in and to be doing together in order for this grace to be poured out in these particular contexts. So Paul says, consider what I say, this is verse 7, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We are called on by God to live out this life as a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. But in order to do that effectively, we have to understand God's grace. So how do we do this? How how do I become the right kind of minister of the gospel? How do I become the soldier, the athlete, the farmer that God is calling me to be? Well, as we said, as the theme through 
our letter, the way to be the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer is to fan into flame our faith. And how do we do that? We fan into flame our faith by experiencing the grace of God. So this is why God commands the church to experience his grace poured out on a regular basis. And in these ways, the Lord literally gives the church power through his grace in Christ Jesus. This shouldn't be too hard to understand when we think of it in terms of common grace and uh, costly grace, or cheap grace and, and costly grace, common grace, special grace. This is the kind of grace where everybody who is alive right now and is getting ready to take their next breath is experiencing common grace of God being poured out on them just in the mere fact that they are alive today. So it should not be too hard to understand that God is capable of pouring out his grace through unique ways for his children because he's already done it. If you are saved, God has poured out his saving grace on you in a unique way that he has not done on others. So it's not simply God's grace in that hose just being sprayed and cast out and hoping to hit some people. God's grace is specific. God's grace is focused. And it's meant to empower us for ministry and by ministry, I mean being ministers of the gospel, faithful men and women of the Lord, both privately and publicly. Do you want to battle temptation and sin in your life? Then you need to be experiencing the power of the Lord's grace. Do you want the courage to be a minister of the gospel and to be living out this great commission? Then you need to experience the power of his grace. What you need from the Lord is given through his grace. And he has told us how to be empowered by it, where to be empowered by it, and specifically why we need to be empowered by it. And it's all here. It's all in here. So Paul says, think over this, right? Consider what I say. This thinking over it does not mean go with what you feel. He's not saying, you know, ponder this and then just, you know, go with what you feel and how you think. And this has led people, this, this, this idea that Paul's not communicating here, but that we fall into very frequently, of just going with how we feel or, or what we think and not what the Word of God says, has led people who don't feel like it to not gather. I don't need to go to church, really. I don't need to go consistently. To not get baptized. To check out during the sermon. I'll go, but you know I, I like the music part. The sermon part's kind of boring. I'm just going to daydream. To let the Lord's Supper become meaningless and routine. 
to think that singing is not for them, to neglect giving to the church. See, this is where our thinking in the flesh will lead us, inevitably. We will go in these directions. We will misunderstand the sermon because we won't be listening. We will think that the Lord's Supper is a boring ritual that we just have to do at the end. We will think that baptism is, is you know, basically just, I, if, I just, if it's just a matter of me just getting dipped, then why do I need to do it? But the problem is not only when we follow our thinking in these areas, not only does it become sinful and wrong, but it causes us to miss out on the power of God's grace. It will, if, you, if you are not experiencing God's grace in the ways that he has allotted for you to do so, then you will miss out on that grace. You will miss out on being empowered by that grace. And it will keep you from being the soldier and the athlete and the farmer that the Lord has called you to be. To be the the minister and the disciple. The ambassador for the kingdom of God. I want all of us in the end to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And for that, we need to have faith on fire. And for that faith on fire, we need to be empowered by the grace of God. And if we are going to be empowered by the grace of God, we better know how he pours out that grace and how he has told us about it in his word. These are, these are non-negotiables in the church. This is what he wants us to do. And I think some of us probably are already experiencing it, as have people in the past when they've been separated from the body for various reasons. Have any of you noticed that maybe temptation has risen in your life? Have some of you maybe experienced a lack of accountability now? Maybe a new kind of loneliness. Maybe old sin habits starting to rise up again. On the other hand, maybe some of us are really happy that we don't have to go through church anymore. And we can just sit at home in our PJs and and watch the sermon online. And the reality is both of those are sad because both of those are missing out on the grace that God pours out on his people. And I'll end with this. I believe that during times like now, right, where we're not gathering together like we usually do, that God will also pour out his grace and keep us and empower us to go through this trial But that doesn't take away from the fact that ideally 
God has determined and required that the way to be the kind of um, follower and disciple of Christ that Paul is uh, calling on Timothy to be and that the Lord is calling on you and me to be comes through the grace of God and that grace of God is given through the ways that the Lord has commanded it to be done. And so my prayer through all of this, not only to hear well done, good and faithful servant at the end of of our lives, but my prayer through all of this too is that I pray that the Lord is working in you to develop a, a hunger and thirst for gathering together. Because all too quickly it'll become a question of, well, I'm still hearing the sermon. Do I really even need to go? And my prayer is that you would not get to that place, but understand that what takes place in the church, what takes place when we gather together, is actually the Lord pouring out grace on his children. So sing when we sing. Listen when the sermon is preached. Pray when we pray together. Give to your heart's content, right? I mean, give in abundance. The Lord, the Lord will keep you in that. And he will show you how faithful he is that you do not need to be relying on the world because he is sufficient. And all of this will be his grace poured out on you to make you into the disciple that he desires you to be. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, God, that even though it was a bit heavy on the teaching this morning, that it would be sweet to our souls to understand, Lord, that these things that you have the church do are not meaningless, but are actually used by you to grow us and and, and to make us into disciples and ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I do pray for any of us who are struggling with Uh, temptations and sins and loneliness and depression and and, and maybe anger because we're cooped up and we're separated. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would empower us with your grace. Give us the strength in trials that you promise to give those who ask. Lord, that you would grow us into a stronger church community here at the Oasis that you would grow churches stronger across this country, that you would use this time to uh, weed out the chaff from the wheat, Lord, to separate the sheep from the goats, that there would be a refining of the church, Lord, through all this, and a growing of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.